Well, good morning, Great Hills. Oh man, I am giddy, honestly, to be here with you uh, this morning. And you know, like all guest speakers do, thank you to your pastor for allowing me to be here. It is a huge honor, and like he said, uh, my best friend from college, Dylan, is with us. And it's special to have my in-laws to be supporting me. And then just seeing out and having family here and then seeing just so many faces near and dear to my heart is just a privilege and an honor. And so if you have your Bibles, grab them and I want you to go to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one is one of where is going to be where we are going to look at this morning. And if you're there at Matthew chapter one, what I want you to do is maybe look to your left, flip to your left, and before you get to Malachi, I want you to kind of see if there's a blank page in your Bible. This is my, my copy, and so what I wanna look at this morning is this blank page, this intertestamental period, or is what some scholars and historians have called the silent years. The silent years, what happens in between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew? In a span of 400 years, we get ending of Malachi, 400 years later, the beginning of Matthew. So what, what happens? And there's nothing much recorded. You know, we don't have like, you know, in year 200 BC, this is what happens in the Bible. So there's these, this gap, and some people have called it the silent years. And what I wanna look at this morning as we look at the silent years of the, the Bible I want us to be thinking what happens in our life when we feel like God is silent? What do we do when we feel like we're being faithful? What do we do when it seems like we're being obedient to what God's commanded us to do through his word? But what, is it, what do we do when it feels like God is silent? And so we're gonna look kinda all throughout Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, what happens in this 400 years, these silent years? And a lot of credit, give credit where credit is due, uh, this guy named Skip Heitzig, he did a lot of research and stuff, and so I'm kind of choosing bits and pieces of his research. But here's half of the main point this morning, here's what I want you to write down. Even though the gap between the Old Testament and New Testament is called the silent years, even though the gap between the Old Testament and New Testament is called the silent years, and you can put a comma right there because we'll fulfill, we'll finish that sentence at the end. And so we're gonna look at three different scopes or subjects or areas that happened during these 400 silent years. And the three subjects are gonna be the world, what's happening historically, politically, Powerly, like what are the powers that be that happens during these 400 years? We're gonna look at what's happening religiously in religion and then in the culture. And I kind of have a photo that I wanna show you that's gonna kind of represent, so that blank page. Now, yes, there it is. Now, I got all my artistic ability from my mom, so uh, she taught me how to draw, so shout out Ashley right there. Great stick figures that I might add. So this is what we're gonna look at. Here's what happens in 400 years, and I would encourage you maybe write some of this stuff down in this blank page. Because what we're gonna look at is that these silent years, quote unquote, are not so silent after all. And so let's look at what's happening in the world historically 
once the Old Testament ends. So a couple of scholars said this, at the close of the Old Testament, the Persians are in control of the world, the temple rebuilt, and the Jews are back in the promised land. But at the opening of the New Testament, the Romans are in control of the world, the Jewish religion looks different, and even the language is different. So how do we get from Persians to Romans? Well, we're just gonna look at this historically. So from a timeline perspective, the Persian Empire goes from 432 BC to 330. The Hellenistic period goes from 330. Can we throw that slide back up? Because it kind of has uh, just a little bit of a timeline. And shout out to our uh, amazing media team because I sent this picture to them shortly, or uh, just like 20 minutes ago. So they're incredible. Shout out, Corey. Um, so you can kind of see from the timeline, Persians, 432 to 330, Hellenistic period. You recognize kind of Alexander the Great. Uh, that's that Hellenistic period. That's from 330 to 167 BC. Hasmonean periods, you'll recognize a name from the Hasmonean period here in a second, 167 to 63. And then you have the Romans who take control in a BC 63. And you're like, well, Brian, why in the world are we having a history lesson uh, right now? Well, just bear with me. We're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to the thread of the gospel through this whole story here in a second. But all of this, all of these powers, all of these empires that happened were all prophesied. So if you look at Daniel chapter seven in your Bible, flip over to your left from that blank page, look at Daniel seven, three through eight. You're gonna see that Daniel, when he was in Babylon, he prophesied about this. It says this, Daniel seven, three through eight. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. Now, in kind of the, the gaps or the, what's the word called? Margins, that's the word, there you go. In the margins of your Bible, that first beast, you can circle it, that is the Babylonians. And you're gonna see how Daniel's gonna prophesy about these 400 years, these powers that took over during the gap, the silent years of the Bible. Let's read in verse five. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. This second beast is the Persians. Let's keep reading. After this, I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back and the beast had four heads and a dominion was given to it. This third beast is the Greeks that take over or this Hellenistic period that you kind of wrote down in your Bible. And then lastly, we get to the fourth beast. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns. And this fourth beast is none other than the Roman empire. And so from a world perspective, you see these four powers, these empires that begin taking over, but none of this is a surprise. This was all prophesied and predicted in Daniel 7. And so we see from a world perspective, these are the powers that be that happened during the silent years. So what's happening during religion in this context? Now, the epicenter of the world is Jerusalem and Israel. And so from a perspective of religion, or perspective of culture, we're gonna look at specifically 
the culture and the religion that's happening in the nation of Israel at this time. So religiously, what is going on? And can we throw that photo back up just so that we can go to the next little second section um, and it's gonna be the religion part. So we see temple is destroyed and the Jews get dispersed. Right, Babylonians come in, take over, kick all the Jews out. And so all the Jews are now spread across and in different countries, different areas, different regions, and there is no access to the temple. No access to the temple. How do we gather and worship as people of Jewish descent and people who uphold to the Jewish religious customs? So these people are dispersed. And so what you see through happening in the silent years, you see the creation of the synagogue. So in the Old Testament, you never hear about the synagogue. But in the New Testament alone, this word is used 55 times in the New Testament. So the creation of the synagogue happens as all the Jews are dispersed among different countries and different, um, not continents, but different cities. And so what else gets established during this gap? Well, some uh, common enemies of the New Testament, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. These people show up on the scene. You don't read about them in the Old Testament, but you read, definitely read about them in the New Testament. And so the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they get established during the silent years. And so just as a, uh, that's what, you know, P, S, A, and S, C stand for. If you're wondering, that's just my little uh, key for you. That's what that stands for. And so what are scribes? Scribes, they study the written law. That's all they can do without a temple to go worship at. So these scribes study and write down the law. Pharisees, if you've been around church, and if you haven't, these people were very, very legalistic, very, very much rules, very, very narrow-minded. And you're gonna see that they have a lot of issues and they have a lot of troubles with Jesus when he appears on the scene. What about the Sadducees? They deny everything supernatural. No resurrection, don't believe in miracles. And you're gonna see that they have trouble with the early church when it gets established in Acts. And so what else do you see during the silent years in the context of religion? Well, you see this feast of dedication, this festival of dedication, feast of lights, just depends on what translation your Bible says. We kind of know it today as Hanukkah gets established during the silent years. Now, for me, as like person who loves history, I find this fascinating, okay? If you're like, Bryant, get on, I hate history. I promise, it's coming to it. it we're gonna tie a bow on it, I promise. But the festival of Hanukkah gets established during the silent years. When does it get established? Well, remember, we said that there was this um, Hellenistic period and then the Hasmoneans take over, okay? In between, or excuse me, at the end of the Hellenistic period, to the beginning of the Hasmonean periods, that's where you see Hanukkah get established. So what happens at Hanukkah is there's this really bad dude, Antiochus IV. He is king and he is a bad man. He kills 80,000 Jews, he exiles even more, he outlaws Jewish customs, and he is so anti-Jewish that there is history of him sacrificing a pig to the god, the god Zeus in the temple. So this man is a bad dude, and he is anti-Jewish and he has a bunch of these evil things that he's doing and he's commanding his little army to do the same thing. And so his army starts to go out and do this thing. 
And these different tribes begin saying, you know what, we're not gonna stand for this. And so they begin to have the Maccabean revolt and the Maccabeans and the, they're successful. And so they take over and so they celebrate this idea of Hanukkah and the festival of dedication. So religiously, what do we got? Synagogues, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, Hanukkah, Culturally, let's look at it. You're doing so good, okay? And keep, let's throw that picture up for one last time, talking about this thing specifically. What happens over culture? Now, this I find fascinating. So when the Romans take over, they build 250,000 miles worth of roads around the world without like, you know, pavement or steamrollers, right? They make 250,000 miles of roads, what do we see is the lingua franca or the common language. We see that it's Greek. Now, Alexander the Great comes in as he begins dominating and taking over. He begins establishing his culture. He wants everyone to speak the Greek language. He wants everyone to read Greek. He begins basically saying everybody needs to be on the same page. And there's just a, a, a little thing that we need to, to note kind of religiously, but as people are getting dominated by Alexander the Great and the Greeks, we see that all throughout the, the nations and everything, the Jewish people are like, okay, we've lived in this country for a while. Now we're getting taken over by the Greeks. And now Greek is the culture, Greek is the language. And as time goes on, all of a sudden, these Old Testament texts are written in Hebrew and we're speaking Greek and we understand Greek and there's Hebrew and there's a disconnect. So how do we get the Hebrew Bible into the Greek language where you're gonna see the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Old Testament come into play during the silent years? And it's gonna be significant in a second, I promise. And so we got the language. And then what do we see as a very heinous form of public execution, we see that the Romans are mastering this death called crucifixion. Persians invent it, but the Romans are the ones who master it and really make a public spectacle of it, of saying, you wanna rebel against the Rome? This is what's gonna happen, this is your fate. And so can we throw that picture up? So we see the silent years, and this is all that's happening. The different powers, the different things happening in religion, the different things happening in culture. And so let's go back to this main point and let's finish where that comma was at the beginning. Even though the gap between the Old Testament and New Testament is called the silent years, God was still at work and is still at work. And so what we're gonna do, I wanna just kind of take you through and show you how it may seem silent, but when you see what God was doing and you see the final aha moment that God has saying, hey, I wasn't silent during this blank page, but I was actually very, very loud and I was moving and I'm moving behind the scenes and it's all for this incredible moment. It's all for this culmination. It's all for the tipping point in history. You're gonna say, wow, in my times of silence, it may not be that it's really silent. It may be that God is doing something that I need to be patient and endure through so that I can see that it was all part of his plan. And so let's see how God redeems. Let's see how God was actually working in these silent Years And so as different world empires are taking control, what is happening? Well, it's literally being obedient to what God said would happen. 
as what the world would say is, wow, these different evil men are coming in and they're taking over and they're killing people and it's the Greeks and it's the Hasmoneans and it's the Persians and it's the Romans. What is happening? Well, the whole time it's like, hey, Daniel 7's happening. God's in control of this. Daniel 7 was happening. This is, this is nothing that should surprise people. God is work during these worldly powers as they're taking over and becoming in reign. And here's the super interesting part as we go down to the religion. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, who is he really, really at odds with? It's these Pharisees. And it's these people that are so, you know, you have to follow these commandments and you have to do these things. And we're gonna take some liberty to say there's other rules besides the Old Testament law. And you're gonna have to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, hey, it's about a relationship with God. It's about, it's about serving. It's about, it's about not these religions and do this, 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 but it's about a relationship with God. That's what the kingdom of heaven is built upon. And so you see Jesus at odds with these Pharisees and Sadducees. And it's interesting because where does Jesus go to declare his public ministry? Where does he say that at the beginning of his ministry starts? Look, he goes to a synagogue in Nazareth. Luke 4, 16 says this, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Here's the cool part. When we see Jesus appear on the scene and he's about to make this declaratory statement of the kingdom of heaven is here. I am the Messiah. Where does he go? He goes to the synagogue. Where is the synagogue? When does the synagogue get invented? The synagogue happens, starts in the silent years. You see God working behind the scenes to establish this. And what does he say? Luke 4, 44 says this. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So he goes all throughout the nation of Judea preaching in the synagogues. When does the synagogue get created? During the silent years. Where do Paul and his disciples and the, the disciples, where do they go in their missionary journeys? They go to the synagogues. And so you say, well, where are the synagogues? They're not in the Old Testament. They happen during the silent years where God is making his presence known, where God is setting the stage. And he is at work in the silent years and he's still at work in the silent years. What about Hanukkah? What about the festival of dedication or the, all the different names that it has? Well, Jesus claims to be God in front of the Pharisees and Sadducees during the festival of dedication, i.e. during the festival of Hanukkah in John 10. Look at this, John 10, 22 says this. It was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. And what declaration statement does he make? If you keep reading John 10, 30, it says this, I and the Father are one. So at the festival of Hanukkah, something established during the silent years, Jesus declares to be God. I and the Father are one. And so what else is happening? How do Paul, Jesus, and all the disciples, they go around, Jesus going around preaching, the disciples going around sharing the good news of the gospel? How is it culturally, how is it significant then? Where do you think they're traveling? They're traveling on these 250,000 miles of roads that the Romans built. 
well, isn't there some issues with just different translations and different languages and everything? As the Romans came in, as different people of history came in, and Alexander the Great said, hey, everyone's gonna be speaking Greek. There's a common language. So then the disciples are going out on these roads that are built with a common language, talking to the people, hey, Jesus is alive. Jesus wants a relationship with you. There's hope. And all this whole, whole time when we say, oh, it might be silent years, you can clearly see that God is at work and he still is at work. And then, like I said earlier in a second, this whole pinnacle of history, this whole what is happening all the while, this whole incredible moment happens because through the silent years, the Persians invent the crucifixion, Romans perfect crucifixion, our Lord and Savior lives a perfect life dies on the cross through the means of crucifixion, through what should be the most evil, heinous way to die. And Jesus comes on the scene, lives a perfect life, and he says, you know what, crucifixion doesn't keep me down? Because three days later, he rises again on the third day, the peak of history, the culmination of history, and he's saying a relationship with Jesus is possible. And so it may look really silent through these 400 years, but what was God doing? God's paving the way, God's setting the stage. God is at work and he, was st and he still is at work. And so even though it might be silent years, days, seasons, moments, God was still at work and is still at work. In your own life, even though it might be silent years, silent days, silent seasons, God is at work and he still is at work. And how can we know this? How can we cling to this? Because let's be honest, silent years can be very hard. Why can we take this to the bank? Well, Hebrews 13, eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Now, th now, just, I, I want you really to think about that. Silent years are hard. But the truth is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I love that order. Hey, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Yesterday in Genesis 1. Yesterday in the silent years. Yesterday when it wasn't so silent years. Jesus Christ is the same today. And Jesus Christ is the same forever. And I, I saw this quote specifically about the intertestamental period or the silent years, and I wanna read it to you because I think it's, it's so well said. But he says, God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he is behind. He's backstage setting things up for his son. And so the silent years, so much happens worldly, politically. So much is happening and religion, so much is happening culturally, but the, all the while, God is behind it. He's at work in it. And we see his beautiful work of silence at the cross of Calvary. He was setting the stage for it. And it's so amazing to think about, and it's so encouraging to think about that God is in control, amen? <laughs> And so the main point, even though the gap between the Old Testament and New Testament is called the silent years, God was still at work and is still at work. 
And I just wanna say this again, even though it might be silent years, days, season moments in your life, God was still at work and is still at work in your life. And so kind of moving more towards application, what about you? Are these some, some silent years you're in? Or you're being, being faithful, you're being obedient, but it just feels like, man, I just, and it seems like God's silent. And so, so what do we do? And I just wanna ask you three questions. And I wanna ask all of us, so myself included, just three questions. And as we go through silent years, and if you haven't gone through a silent season or whatnot, it's bound to happen. <laughs> so let's ask ourselves three questions. First off, I just wanna ask, how silent is God's word in my life? If you feel like it's silent seasons, years, moments, days, is this silent in your life? Because it can't be. If, if what we sang about, if all his promises are yes and amen, are we reading about the promises of God? Is, is God's word silent in your life? And I hope you can say emphatically, no, it's not. And if you have a relationship with God of the universe, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you and you have Holy Spirit power, the same power that resurrected Jesus lives inside of you. And so are you going to God's word with the Holy Spirit of God living inside your life, allowing him to just make the scriptures come off the page in your life? There's this book that I would highly recommend. It's called Deeper by Dane Ortland. He has this quote that just kind of reemphasizes this idea of the, the presence of God's word needs to be in your life. He says this, the Christian life, our growth in Christ is nothing other than the lifelong deconstruction of what we naturally think and assume and the reconstruction of truth through the Bible. There's gonna be a lot of things in silent years where you're gonna, you're gonna have temptations to say, does God really care about me? You're gonna have temptations, is God really in control? And if you're not combating and deconstructing those ideas and reconstructing the truth of God's word, that he works all things for the good of those who love him, that he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that he is always near, man, you have to constantly be fighting against the fleshly thoughts and be constantly affirming, confirming, cementing the truth of God's word in your life. So how silent is God's word in my life? Secondly, what scripture can I hold on to in this season? What's gonna cement you? What's gonna be the thing you cling tightly to? Because the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so what are you gonna hold on to in silent seasons, in silent years? And you just feel like, I just, don't, I just don't see God's hand moving in my life. I don't understand what's going on. And it feels like it's not gonna be 400 years, but it seems like it's four days, four years, four months, 40 days. It seems like it's just totally silent. So what are you gonna hold on to? And the better question is, what passage of scripture are you going to cling to and hold on to? Maybe it's Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace, 
whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Maybe it's Psalm 34. It talks about taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34 also talks about the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. How encouraging is that? I mean, your silent season might be because you're just brokenhearted over some things and some tough things that are happening in your life. How comforting is it to know that the God who set up the 400 silent years for the culmination and for the proclamation of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how comforting is it to know that he is close to you? He's close to the brokenhearted. Maybe it's Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Just a humbling moment of saying, God, I didn't do anything to deserve your grace and mercy and all this salvation that I have is only because it is a gift of you. It's nothing that I've done. And another verse that I found just recently, and it's amazing how God works it, because I'm just reading in my personal time with the Lord and then it came upon this verse, Psalm 56, eight. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Let me just read it again. You keep track of all my sorrows. God of the universe, who when he speaks, creation happens. He keeps track of your sorrows. He's in control. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. How beautiful, how like intimate of a moment is that he collects your tears in your bottle. That means he's close. That means he's right there with you. He's so close to you, he can collect your tears. That's pretty close. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. What scripture can you hold on to in a silent season? And then as the band comes up, I just wanna ask a third question is, do you know Jesus? Because the truth of, of all this that we're talking about, how God is orchestrating the silent years, about how God is in control and, about how God's gonna work all these things for the good of those who love him. God is in control of it all. And he wants a relationship with you. And maybe just in, the, in his sovereignty and his goodness, maybe he's brought you here to Great Hills this morning and you were hoping to hear the great Danny Forshee preach, but you got JV version, sorry, okay. But maybe you're, you're here this morning and you, you think to yourself, man, I've never really begun a relationship with Jesus. I really, Brian, I don't even know much about this Jesus person. But let me just encourage you or maybe challenge you in your thinking. It's not an accident that you're in here today. For me, my story is May 25th, 2014. I'll walk down this aisle. I was born in 1992. So in 2014, I was about to turn 22 that year. I was 21 years old. And I walked down this aisle because the truth of the gospel confronted me in a way that I had never experienced. The truth of that I am a sinner and I've done some evil things, I've done bad things, I've done things, I've done small things that separated me from a holy God. And in that separation, there was nothing I could do to bridge that gap. And I tried a lot, trust me, growing up as a pastor's kid and having a great godly example in my parents, I tried to do a lot of things to earn salvation. 
to try and earn it, to try and think that I could, you know, be good enough to earn it. But I remember thinking to myself, you know what? It's nothing that I've earned, but it's all that what God has done. And that's the story of the silent years. It's nothing that the world powers did or the culture did or the religion did. It's, it's all God. And so I remember thinking to myself, oh my goodness, how much? This is gonna be embarrassing walking down Great Hills because, you know, I'm a pastor's kid. <laughs> I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to do these things and I'm, I'm supposed, supposed to, and here's all the while, I'm thinking about me. And it was never about, I'm a sinner separated from a holy God and I'm in need of the gift of salvation. And so for me, I was like, you know what? I need to accept the gift. God was patient enough constantly going after me and saying, I want a relationship with you. He didn't let me think in my own arrogance, my own pride that I was good enough. I'm like, hey, I'm done, I'm good, I'm right. No, he constantly kept going after me saying, you know what, Brian? <laughs> it's not about you. And I just had to realize, okay, I gotta accept the free gift of salvation. And so if you're in this room, do you know Jesus? Do you know him that he's your personal Lord and Savior? Amen. And so, Here's what I want you to do with heads bowed and eyes closed and the ministers and pastors of the church gonna come up. I just wanna, I just wanna give us opportunities to do business with God. Just to, to have moments of what we were saying about resting in his promises. Just have moments of reflection And some of you in here, you're going through some silent years. You're going through some silent times. You're going through some really hard and challenging things. And the God of the silent years is still the God of 2022. He sees you, he is close to you. And here's an amazing thing. He has given you a community of faith, a community of brothers and sisters in Christ who want to come alongside you, encourage you, pray for you, cry with you, laugh with you, talk with you, love on you. And so some of you during this time of invitation, you need to come down to this altar and just re-cement your firm belief your firm faith that God is in control. Maybe some of us need to repent and say, you know what, God, I'm sorry if that I've been doubting and I've been unsure. But some of you need to come down here and talk to one of these ministers. Talk to one of these pastors and say, I'm struggling. I don't wanna hide the fact that I'm struggling anymore and I need prayer. And so some of us in here just need to, to do some business, do some dealings with God. And some of you are in here, maybe, maybe you need to do what I did on May 25th, 2014, is walk down one of these aisles and begin a relationship with Jesus. It is not a coincidence that you are in here, hearing this message. Not that I think my message is awesome or great. No, it's, it's because the God of the universe 
wants you to hear that he loves you so much. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again on the third day. And the Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so you need to get up and, and walk down the aisle and say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I promise you, if you say that, these pastors, they know what to do after that. And so whatever the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, or that's knocking at your heart, wanting to live inside you, whatever he's telling you, be obedient this morning. On August 28, 2022, and if that, none of these kind of questions apply to you, man, worship in spirit and truth as the band leads us. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you, God, so much for Jesus who died on the cross. He rose again on the third day and a relationship with the God of the universe is possible. Hallelujah, what a savior. And so Lord, I pray that you would get your glory in an amazing, powerful way as we step into a time of invitation. And I pray that your people would be bold and be unashamed if they need prayer, God. That's not a bad thing. You invite that. And Lord, I pray if anybody in here needs to begin a relationship with you, God, that today would be a day of salvation for them. So Lord, we give you this time. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.